Hey, what's going on? It's Ed Gallo. This is the Wrestling for MMA podcast. I am going to talk about UFC 258 for sure. I don't think there's anything else I want to talk about. I think that's pretty much it. So let's see how long that takes. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think that's all I'm going to do. So the main event was Kamaru Usman versus Gilbert Burns. I did a commentary on this fight with Shriram. The commentary with video, so we watched the fight. So you can see the fight footage and hear our commentary. It's decent quality. Um, you can find that on our Patreon account. It's uh, patreon.com slash fight site. Or the fight site. I think it's just fight site. So look it up. You'll find it. Uh, $3 gets you pretty much everything that's on there. So uh, even if you don't want to stick around long term, you can just pay $3 and see a whole bunch of stuff including many, many commentaries. I also did one recently on uh, the Virginia Tech versus NC State wrestling dual meet. So if you haven't watched college wrestling before, or if you just are interested in seeing more of it, that'd be a really good thing to check out. Um, but yeah, so you can, you can see like real-time thoughts on it on Patreon. But uh, yeah, so this is you know, on paper a matchup between two grapplers, two you know, wrestler and grappler, who like to strike. You know what I mean? That's that's the basic dynamic. So, people that might not have known these fighters as well, were thinking things like, okay, who's the better striker between the two of them? You know, Usman doesn't want to take him down because Burns has this great ground game. You know, things like that. That that probably made sense. Um, just looking at their credentials and you know knowing a decent amount about them, but not having watched all of their fights super closely. For people that have watched their fights closely, it looked like okay, Usman is this committed pressure fighter. He's growing a lot as a striker. He hits the body, works behind his jab, hits very hard, seems to have a great chin, um, you know, has a little bit of a kicking game as well, can counter kicks pretty well, and you know, is the best wrestler in the division and one of the best in MMA ever, um, both in terms of attributes and in terms of skill. Um, and then with Burns, you have someone who, yeah, he's got a great ground game, great top game, and his wrestling's improved a lot. His offensive wrestling's improved a ton. Uh, in maybe kind of a limited way, which is what we'll talk about soon. But you had him with this great top game, you know, serviceable wrestling, uh, you know, very very athletic type of wrestling, and, you know, a very meat and potatoes kickboxing game, which works really well for him. He, you know, he has a little more of a jab. He showed a little more of a jab in, in this past event, but mostly he was a 2-3 and uh, a rear kick, rear round kick the legs and to the body and a little bit to the head down too this really basic uh, dutch combos that henry hoof teaches which i think is what makes a lot of his guys so effective um yeah it's a, it's a little bit reliant on power and explosion and he has the right athletes to make that work but i think it's i think it's a good a good style for those guys so you know burns maybe some drawbacks was you know just with how wide open his striking style can be he doesn't quite have the durability to make that work uh, against people who can counter him or people who can deal with his offense and walk him into things, which is, you know, something you've seen before out of him. And you know, if you think about his lightweight loss to Dan Hooker, he's swinging big in the pocket. Hooker can take the shots, you know, eats one on the chin, then, then hooks him while he's, while he's throwing wide again, uh, which is, you know, classic chin bullying from Dan Hooker, but it still serves uh, to show that no, he's not super defensively responsible when he throws. So that, that's kind of the read I had going into the fight. The most important thing to me was the ring craft. 
between the two of them. You know, while Usman doesn't have great all-around ringcraft, he is the more committed pressure fighter, and it's harder to, you know, stop him from doing that. It's harder to put him on the back foot. Where with Burns, we've seen Damian Maya move him around and get him back to the cage. We've seen Woodley do it. We've seen Gunnar Nelson do it. We've seen Alexei Kunchenko do it. So it's like, Ringcraft did not seem to be one of his strong suits at all, even if he did like to pressure a bit. So it was just like, okay, Usman's probably going to be able to dictate where the fight takes place. And, you know, once they get to these clinch, clinch positions, it's probably going to be pretty easy for him to ride out those positions just because we've seen Burns struggle with a lot of guys, those same guys I just mentioned in those positions. And Usman is just much, much better from there. Um, with all that being said, I had a hunch that they were going to strike um, just, you know, for ego <laughs> reasons, like their training partners. Uh, Usman seems to be comfortable not wrestling in fights where wrestling would definitely work for him. Like the Colby Covington fight, people say he didn't wrestle because he like didn't think he could out-wrestle Colby Covington. I highly doubt that. He saw RDA take down Colby Covington and you know be very unsuccessful offensively versus RDA in the clinch. He got a lot of control time, which isn't actually a scoring criteria, but the judges liked it. But he got beat up a lot in the clinch in that fight versus RDA. If you watch that again, and if you only score like the actual offense, uh, it's pretty. There's a pretty decent argument for an RDA win, which is a controversial take because people just remember him being his back being on the cage the whole time and Colby coming forward the whole time. But if you actually watch what happens when they clinch up, uh, RDA beats him up pretty bad with his back to the cage, which is really not a good look if you're going to fight, you know, the best clinch fighter in MMA. So. Usman definitely could have wrestled Colby Covington, and he chose not to, and Colby Covington knew that trying to wrestle Usman was going to be way harder than that, so you know, it was his plan to outfight with him, try to, uh, to keep the volume on him and avoid those uh, those situations, but Usman still beat him at that game too, so it's a bit of an ego thing, I think, with him that he that he wants to strike, and you know, there's a bit of a, a perception issue uh, with his fighting style, so maybe that that pressures him a little bit to take more risks with how he approaches fights i'm not really sure i'm not really sure and and with these guys maybe something did happen in training where you know usman knows he can out wrestle him but he also doesn't like having to grapple grapple with him and i mean usman's a great grappler we've seen him be very very dominant on top in a bunch of fights but if you remember like the damian maya fight Maya's not even not a guard, guard player. That's not really one of his strengths. And Usman refused to get into his guard. Like, every time he had Maya on his back, it, it's the same thing you saw in this Burns fight. He stood over, held his, held his feet, and you know, didn't even try to, like, throw the feet aside and, and throw to pass. Um, mostly he was just waiting, trying to bait Burns into sitting up onto a single or something like that so he could, you know, get into a more comfortable situation you know, with the wrestling situation. You get into front headlock and control him there, which is what he did to, to Damian Maya. So, I don't know. It's very strange because that part of his style is, like, very risk-averse. But then just choosing <laughs> to, to keep striking is the opposite of that. It's, that's not risk-averse. That's, you know, the most risky thing you can do. Um, but I don't know. I, I didn't feel like going into the fight, I, really, I didn't feel like Gilbert Burns was this huge counter threat. So... I figured, you know, maybe he'll do that, and then if there are any issues, then he can just, you know, fall back on his A-game and clinch him up and, and work him there. And it, I think we've seen Burns fade a few times in other fights, so I was like, all right, yeah, it's, it's probably not going to be a 
a big threat for too long. He'll wear him down, and he'll probably finish him. That's how I was feeling. Um, before they walked out, while they were walking out, Shrum and I talked about it, and we're like, okay, what should Burns do here? Because, like, a lot of things in this matchup are going against him. And, you know, we said, you know, against a pressure grappler, I think the best thing you can do is, is pressure them. Is put them on the back foot. Take away their, their main mode of operating. And the reason we thought it was going to be pretty difficult for him was because of uh, Usman's reactive shot. But Burns was, you know, getting down behind smart offense. I don't think Usman wanted to shoot in open space against him. Uh, maybe there is some sort of counter submission threat there that he knows about that you wouldn't be able to tell just from watching Burns fight. Um, <clears throat> so I can't question the decision too much. But yeah, Burns came out super hot, pressured him behind like the jab, uh, a 1-2 and a 2-3 and a body kick. Um, he was using that round kick to cut off exits really well. And when Usman started getting back on his you know typical offense, jabbing, jabbing along with him, uh, Burns had some really awesome counters prepared for him, like that big overhand cross counter. Uh, hit him with that pretty early on. Um, was you know exploiting a lot of his defensive reactions. You know, hitting him when he was ducking. Um, yeah, just, just doing all the things that you'd want him to do to win that fight, um, to exploit the, the holes that Usman has in the feet. So he did beautifully, but Usman is super durable and, uh, <laughs> got, got out of that situation and Burns definitely exhausted himself a bit, uh, trying to do that. And he ended up, you know, starting to get his kicks caught and he ended up, uh, trying to like load up when he was walking too close into range and just eating jabs and getting dropped with straights on his way in, getting intercepted a lot. And when he tried to wrestle, he was shooting he was shooting big explosive doubles that I think were pretty well timed. But you know, Usman has cement hips, so he's running into these cement hips and that was just giving Usman time to you know, start to pry off the, the hands, you know, get the wrist pry off the hands. I think he was wizarding and picking them up, uh, you know, making space. It, it was one of those things where the guy's hips are so heavy. He can basically just stand there giving you a little hit pressure and keep adjusting his grips and pulling off your grips. And if you don't have good wrestling footwork and like you're not a good chain wrestler, you're, you're going to fail in that position. <laughs> Anyone who's tried to shoot on someone who feels like that, you know, like pretty quickly, like, oh, I, this, this, all my momentum is dead here. I can't finish this unless I, I, you know, switch off to a single and try to like push him to the cage on that and, and keep working it. Um, I think he's going to need more incremental takedowns than that. He wasn't catching him many big exposed situations to take him down so yeah he tried a few times to take him down it was basically the same thing every time uh Usman never tried to take him down I don't even think they clinched uh very much if they did um and not against the cage and he had him against the cage as well and he didn't <laughs> didn't clinch up so I think what happened was <clears throat> uh, it's it's impossible to know what Usman wanted to do going into the fight because that, you know, that big offensive burst from Burns happened so quickly. That was the first thing that happened in the fight, really, was he got rocked. And, you know, working his way out of being rocked, he found the offense that was working for him. I think he just got, got, got stuck in the mindset of, I, here's what I need to do to continue to win this fight and to break him down. And it was just working, and he's like, I don't think I need to do anything different. So he just stuck to what he was doing. Um, but I also think that... Uh, a lot of Usman's pressure is behind his jab, and, you know, to, to do that, he had to find his jab in a safe way, and by the time he was finding his jab in a safe way, he was dropping him with it, so he was like, I don't need to use this to pressure, I can just beat him up with it, and that's what ended up happening, so 
I think by the time Usman had his bearings in a way that he could have pressured to the cage and done his wrestling game, he was already winning the fight pretty wide. He noticed Burns was fading like he was. He's like, I don't need to take him down. Um, so regardless of whether or not it was like a round one plan or not, it went out the window. Um, and you know, by the time he adjusted, he had already figured out a new winning strategy, and he didn't need to do that. So um, I don't think it's fair to jump to conclusions about whether Usman is going to wrestle people or not based on this fight, just because of what happened early on like that. Um, I do think it's interesting that, like, panic wrestling is not in him. Like, when he got rocked, he was just looking to recover, get a stance back. Um, but, you know, I, I think maybe he wasn't that rocked. I think he kind of exaggerates his <laughs> what happens to him when he gets hit. I don't think he does it on purpose. I just think it's, like, a weird weird defensive reactions where everything looks worse than it is. Um, uh, Like I said, Burns had a ton of success and he definitely rocked him, but I just think he looked a little more out of it than he was. So it wasn't like he was completely on autopilot or anything like that. So, but just, you know, being in danger and and being hurt, he didn't resort to wrestling from that, which I think is good, honestly, because hardly ever are the shots you take or the things you do when you're rocked in those situations, you're trying to panic wrestle, it's usually bad. It's usually not your best work, and that puts you in tough situations. And against a good top game grappler, like what if that gave Burns top position or something like that? That would really kill the round. Um, not that Burns can't, uh, it was my can't scramble up, but you just assume he's going to take that time to try to recover. So, I don't know. I just see a lot of takes coming out after this fight, and I don't think that, um, I don't think it's totally justified to come to any strong conclusions thus far about whether or not he's going to wrestle people like if he fights leon edwards for example um leon's gonna want to clinch with him (laughs) he's not gonna stop him from clinching with him um he's not gonna stop him from pressuring him he's not gonna try to like enforce any sort of game on him he's just gonna try to deal with what usman's doing so usman's gonna have like a blank canvas basically to do whatever kind of fight he wants to try to do um, so I don't see like there would be any reason for him not to do it there. Um, Masvidal, he's already done it to him, so of course he's going to do it to him again. If he fought someone like Chimaev, you know, maybe there. Maybe there there would be uh, some motivation for him to not wrestle and just keep it standing. Um, not that Chimaev's like a better wrestler demonstrably than someone like Leon Edwards, just because, I mean, he's only fought people that are terrible. <laughs> thus far like the people he's grappled in the UFC are, are very bad wrestlers and grapplers um, he's looked impressive and athletic doing it and I'm, I'm sure his, his level of competency is pretty high but you just you need to see you need to see it against someone who's a little more you know someone you can take more seriously before you can start to make any bold claims like that um, so yeah Usman I, I think he did alright in that fight I think you know the things that got him in trouble in that fight have been there the whole time. I didn't think there was anything largely different than when he was doing his other fights. We're looking for a lot of improvement under Whitman, and I don't know if we've seen it yet. I think he basically could have had that same fight, you know, in, in the Colby fight. I think the Usman of the Colby fight could have done the same thing pretty much. So maybe I'm wrong, uh, but also I, I just think, you know, him not pressuring or not pressuring as hard as you expect him to, that was a lot about how Burns was, was taking away his jab with the counters. And I think it was a lot of the counter threat of Burns that was changing how he approached that fight. And I think that what probably wasn't the original game plan. So I think we need to see another fight out of Usman before we can start to 
decide what him under Whitman looks like and what how he deals with people who are grapplers. So it was a good fight, though. I really enjoyed it. I just, uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's very interesting. Okay. Anything else <laughs> on this card? Yeah, there are a few things, I guess. Uh, Kelvin Gaslam versus Ian Heinish was... Uh, this was before I was doing my commentary, so I had the sound on still. So I had to listen to Joe Rogan's commentary about how you know great Kelvin looks. Um, Kelvin's a weird one because you know he's a wrestler at base. He wrestled a lot in his early UFC career. He wrestled a lot um, on the Ultimate Fighter. Offensively, uh, I would say deeper into his career, you basically only saw him have success wrestling defensively, and even then, it, it was pretty limited. And then his grappling had seemed to have regressed a, a decent amount. Um, it, it's a very wrestler build, like being a good scrambler, like American wrestler, being a good scrambler, um, being athletic, being durable, being scrappy, um, you know, mostly being scrappy in those grappling situations. Um, and you really like trying to weaponize your pace and just make everything about pace and hustle. Against Ian Heinish. I think Heinish made it a point to wrestle him early, and I think he hit him with a big double in, in open space. And Kelvin hit the uh, the arm trap, roll through, called a fat man roll. Um, people are saying it's Peterson. I don't think it's a Peterson. I think you need the head for the Peterson. You have to sit back and catch the head. Um, don't. I think maybe you you can catch the Peterson roll when you roll through like that. But he was just doing it to get free, to get loose. It wasn't. I don't think that's the same thing. Um, Kelvin was trying to correct. DC and say it was a Peterson. I'm like, I don't think that's what that is. I don't, I don't think this is the same thing. But if you've been around the wrestling community for any meaningful length of time, you know that everyone calls moves different things. <laughs> there's no <laughs> there's no unified term for most moves, but that's one where like I'm pretty sure most people know these are two separate entities. Um, so, yeah. That, that happened pretty early on. He got taken down, scrambled up, you know, just the way that we thought he could, the way he's done it before. And what ended up happening is the fight became pretty wrestling and grappling heavy. Um, Ian Heinish, defensively as a wrestler, I was not very impressed. Uh, he didn't have much of a defensive stance or base. Um, so Calvin was able to get in on his hips pretty easily. But also he was, you know, semi-prepared for someone trying to wrestle him. He uh, <laughs> hit that flying knee counter. Uh, it's a Kelvin's level change, and Kelvin ate it and uh, ran through a double and, and flared off. So good footwork on the double. It looks like Kelvin had trained really hard for this fight. He looked in pretty good shape for himself uh, physically, not not even just appearances, but just the performance he put on. He he seemed to be fairly sharp athletically. Um, he, he didn't have the same kind of pop on his punches. I think that's it's too late now. <laughs> He's not going to be the same athlete he was a few fights ago. I think he, he dropped off a little bit in terms of just speed and uh, an explosion a little bit, but he can still like be in good shape. He can still be a powerful athlete because he is one. Um, you see, I, I don't, I think, you know, the chance for him to be the best he could be is already gone, but he could still be a lot better. Um, on the MMA podcast, I talked about sure on that people are being fooled by Kelvin's form in his past couple fights before this with uh, Darren Till and uh, Jack Manson where yeah, it looked like he was like shot or washed or like completely like done just because the fights were going so poorly for him. But I pointed out that you know, with Kelvin, it's, a lot of the time it's just a function of how seriously he's taking his training. 
And I, I, I told Shiro, I'm like, any day now he could show up and be in much better shape and look a lot better than he's looked lately. And that's what happened here. Of course, it was against a worse opponent than those two fights, but he was just clearly more more there um, for this one. And I, I still don't rate Kelvin very highly. I think his, his stand-up is extremely limited, um, which is going to decrease in efficacy now that he's you know not quite as athletic as he was, you know, a little less physical than he was. Um, but if he can lean on his grappling, his wrestling and grappling more, really transition to that kind of fighter, I think that would be good for him. That would definitely uh, make his extend his career. You know, give him a longer time at the top. Middleweight's not that good. He could definitely be a top ten guy for a long time. Um, I don't think he should go back down to one seventy. I think that's an un- unreasonable thing to expect from him that he's going to diet and you know, be, be that kind of fighter. Uh, I don't think that's ever going to happen, but this, this is an amount of commitment that I think is fair to expect from him on some sort of consistent basis going forward. It looks like uh, he's been taken under Benil Dariush's wing. I don't know how close they were before. Obviously, they both trained at Kings, um, but, you know, in the post-fight interview, he, he shouted out uh, Benil Dariush and said that he's training at his academy. So, I mean, you know, training more with Benil Dariush is going to be uh, better better pressure tactics, better counter-pressure tactics, better grappling, better, uh, more effective wrestling, I would say. So I think, you know, maybe if he, if he focuses in on that part of his game, I mean, no one has, like, great ring craft besides, like, one or two people at middleweight, and great is probably an overstatement <laughs> if we're talking about more than just Izzy. Um, but yeah, there's not that many people that, like, have good enough ring craft in middleweight that, like, just one, two in a body kick isn't gonna let you pressure almost everyone <laughs> back to the cage and then just get good at wrestling on the cage and getting your finishes there with which uh Dariush has been pretty good with so you want to see more higher level um like literally higher level like body lock upper body uh and then like outsider inside leg trip finishes against the cage I think that's probably uh the old man grappler archetype you know the doubles from space and the great wrestling footwork from Kelvin that we saw that's awesome I, I definitely want more of that too but it's just something that probably won't last as long versus doing something methodical and reliable to get them to the cage, having a little system of attacks and finishes you can use in the cage, and then just continuing to develop your top game. Um, I think that's a good idea. I think that's a good idea. So I don't think Kelvin's career is over. I just think he missed the window to be actually elite. I think just with his attributes and his base skills and the way he was developing, it could have happened. But uh, yeah, he took too long to take his career super seriously. Um, and it's just impressive that he made it to the level he did while clearly cutting a lot of corners with his training. So um, pretty impressive. But yeah, I don't know. It, it it was a it was a fine performance. It was definitely like, like oh, Kelvin's trying really hard and and looks to be doing something good type of performance. But there's also like a lot of defensive lapses from both of them as both wrestlers and grapplers and Heinish is extremely limited and uh I don't know I don't know I think uh before the fight if you had told me that Kelvin's gonna try to wrestle a lot I would have said oh that might actually be good for Heinish because the, the fights that Heinish wins are the ones where you know grapplers try to wrestle him a lot and get tired doing it and then he beats them up um but Kelvin didn't really stop he didn't really slow down and Heinish wasn't having a lot of success countering him because I think he finally ran into someone who was a better scrambler than him um, but yeah, Heinish, Heinish looked pretty limited in a lot, of, a lot of those exchanges. And, you know, Kelvin's chin still looks good. Heinish was hitting him pretty hard and it wasn't really doing much. So, um, cool, cool win for him. 
I guess I'm happy for him. <laughs> I'm not particularly like a fan, but you know, it's just my vindication about the, the his motivation is definitely uh, nice. It's nice to be right about stuff. Uh, Ricky Simone is, is really solid, man. <laughs> he's really solid. He's hitting nice reactive shots in open space. Uh, he, he's wrestling in the cage really well. He's got a nice top game. Um, his back is super wide. He's like a functional clay guida like a clay guida was like a good fighter um earlier in his career it's kind of what it reminds me of it's like less frantic and more purposeful like basically the same game i just mid i don't think he's midwest i think he's actually pacific northwest which is like midwest guy pressures a little bit has about two punches that he can throw you know kicks a little bit you know, but but can wrestle in most spaces and, and has a very solid ground game so that's a good archetype if he was heavier that would that would take him really far <laughs> he was like above 170 or 170 or above but yeah I, I think for this division it's still pretty solid um i'm interested to see how he does against other people because i think kelleher is like a fairly competent kind of guy and shutting him out like that is is a pretty big deal so good on good on him uh listen a lot of these other fights were super messy and it's hard to like find a read about the wrestling <laughs> In fights where there's just tons of exchanges and scrambles and just like a lot of wrestling happens that's not nearly as interesting to me as like when one or both fighters have a wrestling game and like there's actually a, an interesting dynamic where things are clashing in a specific way where it versus just like neither of these guys are good enough for you know any significant trends to appear it's just like they keep having exchanges and their habits and their competencies are coming out and you're able to see things in those exchanges and it might be interesting it might not be um <laughs> so i'm not going to talk about julian marquez versus maki patolo although i will say julian marquez uh despite winning the fight had took the biggest l of the weekend with the miley cyrus thing that that was awful that was awful not the call out well the call out was cringe for sure he did this whole thing where he was doing like a pro wrestling gimmick he was, like, cutting a promo, and then he, like, wanted people to start a hashtag about, you know, being loud in arenas, which I think is weird. Also, like, is it is it confirmed that, like, they're going to keep having fans in arenas? Like, it seemed like a weird time to do that. Um, <laughs> and then he uh, said, oh, I'm going to call somebody out. Now, Miley Cyrus, will you be my valentine? And I was like, oh, geez. Um, yeah, slightly less cringe than the arena hashtag thing, honestly. But she responded to him. She responded to him. And she said, uh, shave an MC into your chest and I'm yours. Um, and it was like, oh, oh, wow. <laughs> it was like the most positive celebrity interaction any MMA fighter's ever had. Um, which, you know, good good for her, I guess, that she, that she did that. There's a backstory to this. So just the fact that she acknowledged him, I was like, that's insane. Someone told me that he has a podcast with, like, a really famous porn star, and I guess he lives and trains in Vegas, so maybe they just, like, met organically and became friends. I'm like, wow, you are hanging out with a very famous person compared to where you are in, in, in your sport, in your sport that isn't even that popular. You're, like, nobody, <laughs> basically nobody, and you, you were, you know, adjacent to someone very famous. I'm like, that's interesting. So maybe she knows who he is. I don't know. But so he got that great response from Miley Cyrus. And then uh, he uh, 
he went into negotiations and he responded and like okay well you have to you know get a henna tattoo above your belly button that says cuban missile crisis which is his nickname um and, and he posted a picture of what that would look like and i was like oh my god like first of all you're just not in a position to be making demands at all you asked first it was you who said will you be my valentine so you made the request and she said i will under the condition that you shave an mc into your chest which is a very easy thing to do um for for what he's asking i mean that's a, that's a small price to pay um but then he's he's pushing pushing his boundaries like you're aren't you supposed to be reaching isn't this supposed to be like a huge huge like ridiculous reach and then he did that like he wanted to keep the exchange going i don't know why wouldn't you just do it why wouldn't you just do it it would be so easy so everyone in the world is really mad at him <laughs> everyone was rooting for him and he dropped the ball like that um I don't know, maybe his famous connection can keep it keep it uh, alive, but that's my analysis of that fight, is that uh, he's dumb. He screwed that up. Uh, obviously, the big story of the prelims was that jiu-jitsu isn't real, because Adolfo Vieira, who's like an ADCC champion and very, very credentialed black belt uh, world champion, I don't really know the specifics of it because I don't follow grappling very closely, but he, he's a big deal. He's a big deal. People were very excited about him doing MMA. It looks like he's been doing pretty good. Although, his fights have been largely one-way traffic. But, you know, that's better than a lot of converts from grappling sports can say. Some of them don't even have the skill set to make it one-way traffic because they can't wrestle. Um, so, Vieira looks like his game plan is, like, get super pumped up and try to pressure you to the cage largely through aggression and intimidation. That when you get to the cage, uh, he can he can wrestle a bit. He can shoot you onto the cage. He can he can double on the cage. He can uh, he can switch to singles and run the single a little bit so he can reshoot the double against the cage and then finish the double again. A lot of lift finishes. Um, but yeah, it looks like a nice little a nice little system. Not not too complicated. Pretty limited, but looks like a nice little sim- system that used his attributes well to wrestle. And then, you know, his top game, obviously very good. Quick passing, you know, very heavy pressure with chest pressure and, and uh, just sliding through the guard. And I uh, got mount very easily, took the back very easily. And I guess he wanted the finish. Um, so he switched off to the arm bar off the back. And uh, he, I mean, it was looking good. He had it pretty tight. And I think what happened was he went to swim inside the leg to, uh, to flip him over to get his back to the map to, you know, get a better position to finish the arm bar from. And either hernandez like jumped with it or like rolled through it or he did it too hard because he's expecting more resistance but he like threw him out of the arm bar right, with the swim move and uh, they got separation and vera had to wrestle again and that was very tiring for him to have to keep like going through that you know intense grappling situation right back into wrestling which is obviously not where his cardiovascular system is prioritized for um, and then he had to strike again, and then on the feet, Hernandez started pressuring him, and he had nothing off the back foot at all. No defense, no nothing, except he tried to keep shooting these reactive takedowns, which it looked like he was not good at that. <laughs> he was, like, reaching, reaching, uh, you know, his upper body was leading the way, like, his, his, his hips were behind him, um, like, his body looked, he was getting really long on his shots. They are really bad shots. He was shooting them fairly hard, but, like, it, they weren't going to work. Um, say so he's wasting his energy with these terrible shots. He's getting backed up, and he got gassed out within the first round. 
and then uh, still tried to cling to some limbs and, and get some stuff going in the second round. Um, but I mean, he was he was screwed <laughs> as soon as he gassed, he was screwed. Um, and Hernandez ended up uh, countering his shot in front headlock and, and hitting that pocket guillotine uh, with the arm trapped across the hip, uh, which is a, a really cool variation of that move. So, yeah, uh, it wasn't like Vieira couldn't wrestle, but he couldn't do MMA. <laughs> he couldn't keep his striking in a place where he could keep himself safe and get back to wrestling positions and, and continue to do those even if he doesn't finish you immediately. In round one. So I guess his big mistake was going for the arm bar, but I mean, the rest of his game not being there was a bigger deal than that. Um, so yeah, obviously, Jiu Jitsu is real, but these athletes, they need to learn more things. They need to learn more things to, to make their games applicable than a wrestler does, because a wrestler doesn't need to have that good of a ground game to top game MMA fighters. And they already have the wrestling. So basically, they only need to learn a little bit of jiu-jitsu, a little bit of jiu-jitsu, and they can win fights. Whereas if they're fighting someone who can, like, survive on the ground and wrestle okay, and you don't have any striking, then your entire game is gone. Uh, whereas wrestlers can wrestle a lot. <laughs> you know, they're used to doing that, even if they're tired. Um, they still get themselves in trouble, but, you know, just the, the amount of things you need to learn before you have an effective type of game really changes from one sport to the other. Um, which is why wrestlers have such a big advantage. So, that was that fight. Uh, I'm not really going to talk about anything else except for Bilal Muhammad versus Diego Lima, because Bilal Muhammad had a really awesome performance, uh, you know, pressured very intelligently. I was hooking and hitting the body and kicking off exits, and Lima was not hard to pressure. <laughs> he, he liked to put himself on the cage and, and try to counter and try to low kick on his entries. Um, basically, exactly what Diego Lima does, but worse. <laughs> That's my uh, my analysis of that that performance. But yeah, Muhammad was doing a lot of cool stuff to him, and he was hitting these really nice, uh, like exaggerated level changes into doubles against the cage. He was hitting the knee on the shot. He was, he was making full level changes, and he was doing it very enthusiastically, decently, athletically. Um, they look good. They look good. They're good entries, I think, against someone... With like a length advantage, like uh, Lima has, uh, Lima's just a, a lot, a decent amount bigger and a lot longer. He was hitting these big level changes, and Lima was, you know, seeing them coming a little bit and getting that wide stance. And honestly, the lower you shoot, the wider your arms are gonna have to be on the shot. So he's getting these big, big level changes, and Lima's legs were already out, so he was already on the wide part of the legs uh, of the stance. So he's having to come back up. That's one situation where I think actually shooting higher on the legs and a little bit below the butt would be better, just because you can't get that as as, as wide of a target. Um, not to say that like, the big level change is a bad idea. I think it's a good idea. It looked good. Um, he just wasn't... I mean, some of the setups are cool. He was hitting, like, step-up knees and then just dropping into the shot off that, because, like, the step-up knee definitely triggers a counter. The other guy, they can shoot under the swing, um, but... Yeah, I, I just think Lima was seeing it coming, and his wrestling's developed a decent amount. Especially if you're against the cage, you know, like, all I have to do is learn cage wrestling defense like like this. Um, I, I only have to worry about one thing while getting beat up <laughs> on the feet. Um, so it wasn't the best game plan, but he did do a decent job defending there. But eventually, uh, Bilal was able to chain off his shots and move him around and switch to singles and body locks and uh, get his doubles and, and wrestled him pretty well, so... I like Bilal Muhammad, man. He uh, 
he's really a smart fighter, very well-rounded fighter, very educated. Um, yeah, I, I think underrated as an athlete as well. He's pretty physical. He's in great shape. He's very strong. I think he's just not particularly like fast and maybe uh, you know, a little weird mechanically. And his legs are a weird shape compared to the rest of his body. <laughs> maybe that's what makes it makes it awkward looking. But no, he's a good fighter. Um, I'm a little slow to get on the Bilal Muhammad train, but I think uh, I think he's cool. I think that's uh, that's all that was interesting on that card, um, from a wrestling perspective at least. We can look at next week's card, but I don't think it's very good. Um, it's Curtis Blades versus Derek Lewis in the main event. Is there anything else on that card that I think I have anything to say about? No, there isn't. It's just that fight. Uh, Curtis Blades, like I said, it has gotten a lot of mileage out of variants on a 1-2. Um, you know, level changing on a 1-2, fainting a 1-2. You know, mixing up the, the rhythm, you know, double jabbing, um, yeah, just you know, fainting his entries, fainting the level changes. There's a lot of a lot of variants on basically everything you could modify <laughs> to apply to that to just two punches he's been doing. And it works really well for him and it's something that not a lot of fighters do. So even for heavyweight, I mean, not even just for heavyweight, just like pound for pound, that's that's a cool thing to do. Um and he's got this great explosive running double. Um, he can hit it on the cage. He can hit it in space. He's got a nice, uh, like, he goes this this high rear standing body lock for his mat returns. I don't know why he goes so high. He, like, pulls up to the chest when he hits it. It might, it might be, like, a mechanical error. It might be a mistake, but it works well for him. Um, he's got a nice little wrestling game for, for MMA, and his top game is obviously very brutal. Great ground and pound. Um, Derek Lewis, I think, Likes to be kicky on the outside and counterpunchy on the inside. And I think uh, their Curtis Blade should be able to draw out those counters pretty reliably. Uh, one of the issues with him with that, you know, fainting jab and, and cross game is that if he's not totally <laughs> in the right spot, if his jabs in front of you or faints in front of you and isn't prepared for what's going to come back, he can get himself in a little bit of trouble, which is what happened against Francis Ngannou in the second fight. But I think he learned his lesson from that and he's been more mindful of distance um, and, and controlling it and coming in and out and, you know, mixing up the body shots as well. So I think he'll be able to uh, draw out counters from Lewis and, and get him where he wants to get him and wrestle him a decent amount. And I think his top game is good enough where he's going to be able to hold down Blade, uh, Lewis for stretches, maybe not right away. Maybe uh, Lewis will get up once or twice, but I think he'll be able to hold him down. I think it's going to be a good fight for, for uh, Curtis Blades. With regards to Derek Lewis, like just getting up, I wrote an article about this a while ago that it's not really anything magical. <laughs> you know what I mean? He, ha he has a very simple get-up game. Uh, basically, uh, just makes space with posts and, uh, you know, shrimps out to get his hips free. He basically just tries to get his, his hips free so he can belly down, uh, you know, get to referee's position and stand right up from there. And the reason that works is because not many heavyweights have decent control from turtle or, or back control. Um, Marcin Tybura is one of the only fighters <laughs> who has fought Derek Lewis to actually put hooks in when he gave up his back, and it worked pretty well for him. That was the Shimmy Shake fight, if you remember that one. Um, but if you watch like his regionals, like one of his fights against uh, Jared Rochelle, which I know you don't want to watch that, but it's just somebody who like knows how to 
break you down and hit a ride from turtle or referee's position if you're a wrestler. Um, there's nothing there's nothing that crazy going on with Derek Lewis's game. It's just like you need to be able to be good in those positions because he's going to default to trying to roll through and get to you know his belly down, try to stand up from there. Um, yeah, it's hard. It's hard because you want to pass guards. So you want to give up those kinds of opportunities, but then it's a lot easier to push off really hard and create that space and, and roll through. And he's a very strong guy, um, so so he's able to do that. But it's nothing unstoppable. It's nothing you know mystical. I think they'll be able to watch the film and see pretty clearly how he's doing that. Um, and then like Daniel Cormier didn't really have much of an issue with it. He he did it against the cage, so the get-ups are a little less. Uh, it's not the same. <laughs> they're they're different, but uh, still, you know, he was able to just chain his shots and get back down to his leg attacks and um, ankle picked him when he was trying to get up, which is pretty funny. Um, but yeah, I don't think Derek Lewis is that hard to wrestle. I think just the people that do it have some gaps that are keeping them from holding him down. And I think uh, Curtis Blades definitely has the skill set and the size to to do that to him. So I'm expecting Curtis Blades to win. I think he's pretty good, and uh, yeah, he should get a title shot. I'm actually surprised he isn't fighting for a title already. He's on a four-fight win streak. Before that win streak, he was on a one, two, three. He was on a four-fight win streak before that. Then lost what probably was a number one contender fight to Francis Ngannou, and then he won four more. And his last two were over JDS and Volkov. So I mean, he should be fighting for the title for sure. So I think this is just like a. Uh, I don't know. I don't want to say a tune-up. <laughs> because that's Kurt, that's Derek Lewis, who's pretty, pretty tough fight at heavyweight. But also that uh the previous win streak was actually six because uh, one of them was a no contest for, for weed, which is obviously very stupid. But he won that one. So, looking good, looking good for, good for Curtis Blades. I'm expecting a, a good fight out of him. And yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's all I have to say. Um, so next week I guess I'll recap that card a little bit, but. I'm not expecting there to be enough material for a full podcast, so I'll either do something special or I'll, I'll take questions. We'll see which I do. Okay, see you guys later.